With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, for now. Joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN. We are on the eve now, almost officially, I guess two days away from the start of training camp the vikings head down to mankato for the last time we should get into that as well little on-air production meeting as we as we uh, get this thing started the vikings announcing this week of course that they're this will be their last training camp their 52nd and final training camp in mankato they get down there sunday to start with quarterbacks rookies and i believe guys who are rehabbing from injuries before the full squad gets there on wednesday guys we'll get started there and we'll get started with some things that mike zimmer said this week in a couple of interviews one with Brian Murphy of the Pioneer Press, one with Hannah Storm of ESPN. Uh, Brian went down to, to Zimmer's Ranch. Hannah did as well. I think there may be a couple of other things coming here, uh, other people that maybe took the trip down there to, to check in with Zimmer. Uh, the thing I, we were talking about before we started this, though, that I want to get into on the air is that Zimmer said, I think to Brian, contrary to what everybody believes, I think this is still the same team that went 11-5 and two years ago. Now, that, of course, is in light of the fact that the NFL's leading rusher that year is no longer an employee of your organization and that you have a different quarterback. But setting those two things aside, can this still be the same kind of team? What do you guys think? I think it can be an 11-5 and team, yeah. I mean, I think that that's the ceiling for this team. When I went through the schedule and went game by game, and I picked them for games that I thought they had a really good chance to win, let's say just over a 50% chance to win, I had them at 10-6. and If everything breaks the right way, if they don't have a lot of injuries, maybe their field goal kicker doesn't miss any extra points and so forth, uh, they could be that. But I think that that's the absolute highest record that they could get to with this team and I I mean some similarities to the uh, 2015 team would be you still come in with what you expect to be a very very good defense and you expect to be one of the better running teams in the league after drafting a top prospect with your second round pick signing a guy for four million bucks and having Jarek McKinnon come back and improving the offensive line by drafting Pat Elfline, spending a lot of money on two run-blocking tackles. So if you wanted to focus more on being a good running team than you were able to do last year, you should be in, in that place. But 
I also think that there are some differences. Sharif Floyd looks like he's not going to play. That can hurt you. Uh, the depth on the secondary is pretty weak, and I'm not sure who is behind any of the starters, and there's questions at nickel corner. So, I, I mean, I, I think that this team has enough question marks to say that 11-5 and five is the ceiling, but also it's going to be tough to get to that point. Uh, I'm very skeptical, and but here's what I want from day one of camp from Zim. Show up, and in your first press conference, don't give me this. Don't look out at the media core and the fans and say, you don't believe. Oh, you know he's going to. After last year, Zim, here's my professional advice. Say, last year's failures were on us. They were on me. And, I, and we're going to prove to you that we are an improved team that's not going to disappoint. So this whole just don't start this notion of from day one of camp of trying to tell your players that now that last year you weren't serious and that and that people did believe in you and you let them down. And now you've changed and and people don't believe. OK, let's just start from day one of camp with. We screwed up last year. We had injuries. We weren't good. And in 2017, we are going to show you that we are a better team than do that. You, do that's you believe that that's going to be what happens? No, but if he's learned, if, if if Mike Zimmer has learned from last year, it should be what happens. Should be what happens. If he has not learned, then we are going to get the same BS, which is now nobody really believes. A year ago, I told you this, but it was sort of BS. But now nobody really believes, and so we're going to show. A year ago when we were the trendy that, Super Bowl pick coming off the a division non- title and we yes, started 5-0, and nobody believed in us. Drop that nonsense, okay? Yeah. This year, yeah. drop it. It's one of his shortcomings as a head coach, and maybe one of the reasons that it took him so long to become a head coach is that he – isn't the type of guy that is very clear with his messaging to his team and the whole face of the franchise or CEO or whatever you want to call it. I thought last year we saw some of those weaknesses exposed. And to your point, I think he should just focus on not trying to do too much of that, not trying to have too much of we're going to be this, we're going to be that just we're, we're going to correct the mistakes that we made last year. I I think that that should be, the, the message, but when a you lot read of things that are easily correctable, when well, that's oh, one man, thing. We, but we miss him, don't we? When you uh, hmm. read through his interview with Brian Murphy, I don't know how much to make of it, but there are a lot of criticisms from last year that were addressed, but not really addressed. Addressed in sort of a no, we weren't wrong. So what I have not gotten yet from Zimmer at any point this offseason, even though he said that he's gone on this monk-like journey to discover himself by talking to other coaches, well, what is it that you learn that you're going to change? Uh, well, I guess he did say that they need to get back to being more blue-collar. I mean, that, yeah, that was the one thing. thing I heard um, from him back during OTAs, I think, but... Um, yeah, but, but what does that mean? I don't know. And and the thing I I wonder too is, is it that he hasn't changed his thinking on some of these things, or that he has and he's just not going to admit it in the media? I, I think there's a very real possibility that that's the case as well, and that's fine. But I mean, we will see over the course of training camp and and probably more uh, relevant over the course of the season because I mean I think the thing that everybody wants to see is. If you get into a stretch where things don't go well again, mm-hmm. how do you handle it? And and he got into some of that stuff, I think, with, with Brian a little bit, talking about, you know, you get into crisis mode and, and there are better ways to handle it. There are better ways to approach some of this stuff than I maybe did. And 
And that's what I'm going to be curious to see because if they get into a stretch, I mean, they will. Every NFL team has stretches during a season. And they have. Yeah. I mean, we're, previously, too. Yeah, I mean. 2016, they But I, I felt like they were they, in the past, had been pretty good at not letting a loss turn into two or three or four. And that was the, the startling thing about last year was that you you finish three and eight. I mean, that's that's two-thirds of basically a five and 11 type season. And, and that's, it, you know, I, we all were surprised to see it in some ways. I mean, it was pretty striking given where they started. But staying out of that type of a situation, I think, is where you really prove that I am different. I've I've learned, and and if you're able to handle those those ebbs and flows that inevitably come mm-hmm. a little bit better, I I think that's the the big sign that he has changed. I think the starting point for him should be very very simple, which is if you are upset about something or if things go go wrong, as as much as we might not like this, keep it in house, right? I mean, if players do their own thing or if someone's not playing well, unless you are convinced in your heart of hearts that it's going to help to call out that player publicly, because that, that will make that player better, I think that's the starting point. So if Anthony Barr is not playing well or Sharif Floyd miraculously comes back and gets hurt again and you're upset about it, hey, call him in. Call the entire position core in. But I think the starting point needs to be don't go about alienating your players for no apparent re- reason other than the fact that that day you're just upset about it. I, mean, I think that's restart. I think that that's true and that, Everything about handling when adversity does come and how that will go within the locker room, on and on and on. I mean, it's all it's all right and it's all true. But I also think that Zimmer needs to just look to the heavens and pray that Sam Bradford is good, right? I mean, I, mean, I think about the number of coaches around the league who do mind-boggling things with the clock. Andy Reid with the clock. Just his bungled Mike that. Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy. My gosh, he wastes a timeout every week because they can't. Have, they don't have the right call. In quarterback right yells at him. Yeah, I mean, every week they they walk off and Rodgers looks all pissed because they just blew a timeout on something. The uh, the famous challenge, right? The, the one where Jordy Nelson tried to stick the flag in his pants. <laughs> yes, that, that game was so much fun. But it was uh, quite a show. He gets bailed out by Aaron Rodgers time and time again, and sure. has a. What did he say? I'm a very successful football coach. Yes, you are because of your quarterback and because of your quarterback only, not because you are an exceptional genius and you handle the locker room better and you're a better CEO or any of those things. The the position that Mike Zimmer is in is having to rely on a quarterback who has never thrown for 4,000 yards, has a career high of only 25 touchdowns, has never made a Pro Bowl, has never made the playoffs, and is hoping that he can top all of his previous totals in order to have the type of season that he's going to have to get into the playoffs. And that's a lot of hope. I can see people's reasonable argument about why Sam Bradford should be better. At the same time, there are reasons why Bradford has been in the league for so long and has never made the playoffs. And that, if you're Zimmer, that's the one thing that you really cannot control. And if he makes, I think if he, if there are any missteps along the way that you have no margin for error when Sam Bradford is your quarterback. But Bradford is never going to go into a year with the opportunity he's got now. Right. I mean, I mean, you are to the Vikings credit. They have given him every possible thing, basically, right? Offensive lines improved the running game, in my opinion, improved Uh, the guys who are going to be catching the ball out of the backfield are better. 
I mean, you are giving this is this is the first time uh, that Sam Bradford, I think, is going to go into a season since he was drafted where you literally can pretty much say there are no excuses. So you're going to find out. And the question is going to become this. We're going to find out, did Rick Spielman make the best trade possible? Because if he did, Bradford is going to be successful with all these components around him. And if the Vikings panicked, we're also going to find out because if Bradford fails now and he's healthy, basically you're going to look at a guy who's going to uh, hit the market again and you're going to say he just wasn't that good. Well, and the question of how do you define the best trade possible, I think is the natural follow-up there. I mean, they made the trade last year. You know, They said it was based on more than one year, but a lot of the, the focus for that was that we just lost our quarterback. We we think we have a team that has a chance to win now, and we have to try to give ourselves a chance to do that. What, in your mind, I guess, would make this the best trade possible? What kind of a return do we need to see on Bradford this year to vindicate that trade? Uh, I think you. I think what you would need to see or would like to see, realistically, middle-of-the-pack offense that is efficient. I'm not, I'm not asking for great. I'm, I'm not asking for a Pro Bowl quarterback. But I think if Bradford's got the capabilities, I think, to be pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Yeah, and, I agree. And I think he's got the components now and probably the protection around him to achieve that. So I think, if, I think if we see an offense that can go from like 27th, I believe, last year to, let's say, 16th, I'm happy. Um, so I'm not asking. And, and by the way, I go back and make that trade last year after Teddy gets hurt every time because that trade, you were panicked. And as I've always said, there is no way in good conscience that you could walk into that group of players and say, okay, boys, go get them with Sean Hill. So I am never going to complain about that trade, but that trade was made out of panic. And what I'm saying is for a guy who was the first overall pick in this draft at one time, I think you could realistically or should be able to say when we get to January of 2018 that Sam Bradford took this offense and had, at the very worst, a middle-of-the-pack offense, Matthew. I would grade it purely on the playoffs. If Got to make them? If you make the playoffs one of the two years and you give yourself a chance, especially a year that you're hosting the playoffs, or I mean the Super Bowl, yeah. you you need to be in the playoffs the year that you host. Could the host Super- the playoffs too, I suppose. Could, I mean, if you're that good. It's, that is true. Never play a road game. That's, uh, I mean, that would be the first time it ever happened. So <laughs> if you go, if you trade away your first round pick yeah. and you give up a big piece of the future and you don't make the playoffs in two years with this quarterback, even if the defense slips back this year and some of it is their fault, which I could totally see because they're playing a very tough schedule. So if the defense slips back and instead of fifth, it's 10th or something and you miss the playoffs by one game because the defense gave up, it it doesn't matter. The good quarterbacks win. And if you don't make the playoffs after trading a first round pick, then you made the wrong choice of who you traded for and what you traded for them. Right? I mean that that I don't know. Look, I mean, at yes, that, but you at had that no time, choice at that time. At that That's time, I make that deal because I I believe that team is so talented that you need a real quarterback. You can't just throw away a year of Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith and all these great defensive players. Still, how we evaluate it in with hindsight is if you go zero for two with this quarterback and he has a similar year where he can't. Uh, get big plays on third down where he throws late game interceptions that cost you and things like that. If that's the same Sam Bradford and they go eight and eight with a good defense and a better running game, then your trade failed. Get into the defense thing for a minute. Cause I, I think in, uh, in Brian's story, 
Zimmer talked about this and said that he feels like they the defense can be more reckless. I guess the the word he used was he said I'm going to be I'm going to try to be a little more reckless defensively this year, a little more aggressive. And Brian asked him, "What does that mean?" He said, "Well, we're pretty disciplined the way we play up front. Maybe if I let these guys go a little bit more." they'll make some more negative plays. In other words, plays for negative yardage, not negative outcomes for the Vikings. But uh, Brian asked him, do you you feel like you have the personnel to pivot to that identity? He said, yeah, I do. The problem is if you're more aggressive up front, your linebackers are going to get blocked a lot more. With Eric Kendricks, being a smaller linebacker, you've got to pick your punches. Most teams know if we're lined up there, we're going to play there. I think it can add a little bit if we add a little bit of movement, change-ups, I guess. What do you guys make of that? What do we think is going to be different about the identity of this defense? Because I think, in general, they're going to be pretty similar to what they've been. But is there a need, I guess, from Mike Zimmer to adjust to the fact that teams have now seen this scheme for three years and presumably have a better idea of what to expect from it? I think part A would be moving Everson Griffin around a little bit. Uh, he certainly has the capability to do so. Which they are absolutely planning to do, by the yeah. way. that I this, The time I spent out with Everson Griffin's movement coach, Sean Mishka, uh, a couple of weeks ago now, that was probably focus number 1A with a bullet of what Everson Griffin is working on. They they Everything they did was equal reps from left and right side. That that message came through loud and clear that they and they may dance around it when we ask them about it, but the way they are preparing, he has absolutely been told you're going to play both sides. And I mean, if you look at some of the other players like Everson Griffin around the league, guys who are big and strong enough to move inside when they want Jadavion Clowney last Mm -hmm. year, when we saw him against the Vikings, it's funny. The Vikings smoked the Texans last year. Yeah. That was when they looked like they were going to the Super Bowl. That was the, everything was downhill after that. But oddly enough, Jadavian Clowney and Whitney Merciless had great days, and yeah. Clowney was lined up all over the place. He Whitney was, Merciless had a great day because he, of T.J. Clemmings. Yes, he did, and many did last year. Uh, Pernell McPhee was coming back from weeks of injury, and I think he also got in a fight with the coach and then just had a Hall of Fame night <laughs> <laughs> with the Bears. Uh, but you know, moving Griffin around I think is probably part of it. I also think that some of this has to be about Anthony Barr. Uh, resolving yeah. the Anthony yes. Barr issue. And I think that they need to find ways to not have Anthony Barr cover tight ends. They were lit up by tight ends last year. Football Outsiders ranked them 24th against tight ends. A big part of that is on Anthony Barr, who was just not very good in coverage last year, but was still effective when rushing the passer, not always getting sacks, but at least creating some havoc. And I think that that is his best skill, and playing to that could mean being aggressive with him. But then how do you cover tight ends? I mean, is it staying in the base more? Is it using a safety to do it? Because if you're playing a team that has a good tight end and you want to use Harrison Smith to help Xavier Rhodes with whoever he's covering that day, it gets a little tough. Yeah, uh, that's part of it is using Harrison Smith to some sometimes yeah. have to shadow a really good tight end. How many good tight ends will they face? Like, well, a handful. Um, I mean, there's only a couple. There are only a handful in the league that are really exceptional. Carolina, yeah, that are yeah. Carolina's one, and you're going to line up Harrison Smith on Greg Olson yeah, as much that's as you in can. December. Right? Uh, Green Bay now with Martellus Bennett, yep. probably. Yep. Um, That's a tough one for a safety, but yep. Harrison Smith can do that. Yep. Um, the difference is they'll put him out there with four receivers. And yeah, you'll have to, true. That's a lot to deal with. But Ken- Also, Kendricks is a very good cover linebacker. Yeah, yeah. He, he might not quite have the height to handle yeah. Bennett one-on-one, so you might, have to do, you might have to zone him off. I mean, the thing with Barr, if, if it works, is 
he's built perfectly for it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, totally. The, if if he can cover, he has all the the physical traits to do that job really well. It just hasn't totally. worked out that way. So, you know, I could see them trying to to make that work and try to get a little bit more out of him that way. But uh, yeah, I mean that that was a problem last year. So the the key to me right now, though, defensively in this league, is you have to be able to show different looks, and I think that's the key. And I do think that if you got if you sat Zim down now and said, what do you think part of the problem was last year? I think predictability might be a key. So, See, so I'm Mike not, Zimmer's predecessor. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure. I, I like Collar's thought about Barr doing different things, but I also think that you need to get to a point where, where if you're going to move Griffin around, that's great. If Barr can do more things, that's great. But my my main concern is this, though. Starting opening night against Drew Brees and the Saints, my, my main concern is they're going to go at one guy. Mackenzie Alexander. Mackenzie Alexander. And, and so we can talk all we want about pass rushing and packages and blah, blah, blah. If your nickel corner position does not hold up, you're in enormous trouble. I actually think that Barr needs to play less. That last year he was one of the league leaders for that position in snaps. And... I look at a guy like Dante Hightower for New England who spends about half of his passing snaps rushing the passer mm-hmm. and doesn't play as many snaps. He doesn't play over 1,000. He plays more like in the eight to 900 range, yeah. but uh, they mix in those dime packages more that the Vikings basically didn't use at all. The Vikings basically have a base and a nickel, and there are very few changes in those. I mean, you, you see the same guys on the field almost all the time. I mean, they don't have a lot of defenders that are 20-snap-a-game are guys. I mean, if if everybody's healthy, they generally have, what, 12, 13 players they use on defense, and that's it? I mean, really, the, the only switch they make is rotational, a couple of rotational guys on the defensive line and then a linebacker for a nickel corner. I mean, it, there isn't much variability other than that, and you have to have the depth to do that. But, yeah, they, they don't do a lot of it typically. And I think what they might need is some other linebacker to step up in training camp. Yeah. Maybe it's uh, Edmund Robinson finally or Elijah Lee or Ben Gideon. Somebody Kentrell who Brothers. Can, yeah, Kentrell Brothers. Somebody who can step up to give them some different looks. And sorry that Anthony Barr uh, – wants to be treated like a superstar player, I'm sure, and still believes that he can be that. But last year he wasn't, and some of his weaknesses were really exposed by other teams. And if that's happening again, I think changes have to be made there. Yeah, I mean, that that position is going to be interesting to watch because, I mean, you talk about Anthony Barr and, and variability, and that should be the key to a lot of it. I mean, they've always kind of talked about him being the linchpin to the defense in a lot of ways, and he was not used to that. Say that. They used to say that. Um, did, yeah. They uh, they did not say that as much last year, but 2015. If you're talking about getting back to that, yep, to what you were in 2015, he's he's a big key to it. So, here's my qu- a question about Zimmer too that I think is important to keep in mind. We are sitting here now um, in July, and Mike is sitting down with reporters in the calm of his Kentucky ranch, and he's able to sort of talk about life and football and I'd like to do this and we're going to, to do that. But when the season starts up again, and that's a different animal. I mm-hmm. mean, when you get caught up, when the regular season starts and training camp practices start, when, when you get um, caught up in the heat of the year, that changes things. How much do we think that, that this 
version of Zim who sort of distanced from the pressure um, will transition into the season when when I think it becomes a lot tougher to be like, you know what I said in July? That was really smart. I think it becomes tough. So as got, as two guys who cover him, do you think he's got the ability, if he does have a plan in July, to be executing that plan in October when things start to get much more involved and difficult? I think in general it's hard for a Tiger to change their stripes, especially a Tiger who really likes their stripes, that really likes the way their stripes look. I mean, I, I think Mike Zimmer likes the way that – he plays defense. I think he believes that the way he coaches, the way he approaches things, the way he game plans is the right way to do it. And I, I think there's a lot of credence to that theory based on the success he's had over the years. But I think in general, it is hard for coaches to change. Uh, I think it's hard for coaches to make big changes. I mean, you can make incremental changes, but I think changing who you are is, is pretty difficult to do for anybody, any human being. I think that's difficult. And, uh, yeah, I, I would retain a healthy skepticism about how much different it looks uh, over the course of the year. I go back to the place that we started with his original comment. I believe we're still the team that was 11-5 and should have beat Seattle if not for Blair Walsh's shank. <laughs> well, if you still believe that you're that level of good of a team, then maybe you don't think as many changes need to be made that possibly do need to be made. I mean, I, I feel like at every turn in the interview with Murphy, there's a sense of, yeah, we need to change. But I was right, though. <laughs> like, okay, well, you can't really have it both ways. And I, and I do agree with you, Ben, that it is hard for coaches that have been in the league for this long and had a lot of success, especially him as a defensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And getting a team to the playoffs as fast as he did in Minnesota, you feel like what I've done is right. Rex Ryan was this way. I had a front row seat for it in Buffalo. Rex Ryan overachieved with Mark Sanchez as his quarterback. He got to two AFC championships. Yeah. But 10 years later with the Buffalo Bills, he was still playing the same defense. And the players were telling him, and coaches and assistants were telling him, no, you can't, you've got to change, you can't do all this with personnel, and teams are playing up-tempo now, that's how they're beating us. And what did he do? He brought in his brother and doubled down on his defense that worked 10 years ago and not now. So he ends up getting fired, and Zimmer might end up on the same path. I do think, though, if there's any type of coach that can adjust and change and adapt, it is a defensive coach. Yeah. Because the league is always like that. Defensive coaches are constantly having to adapt. Yep. <laughs> Offenses get ahead. Defenses follow along with changes. Sure. Here's what concerns me the most about the uh, Pioneer Press story by Murph. What concerns me the most as, I, as you read through the story is the amount of times Bill Parcells is referenced. And here's why it concerns me. Bill Parcells is a Hall of Fame coach. Bill Parcells has rings. Bill Parcells has a ton of cred. And Bill Parcells coached in an era that was completely different. Correct. That's what concerns me. Uh, in Parcells' era, if you, if you were multiple on defense a little bit, it worked. In Parcells' era, if you called out a player in the press, oftentimes it worked. And if Because guys got, both of his titles were before free agency where players could leave. Correct. And, and, and in that era, if a, guy, if a player's turned on you and got mad, guess what? You reamed him or you cut him. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Uh, it concerns me that Zimmer, and I'm not saying that Bill Parcells is not a good guy to call up on the phone and talk to, but when that's your sounding board, and Parce Parcells is an obstinate, stubborn human being, and Bill Parcells says, damn it, Mike, this worked for me, and this worked, 
look at the athletes Zimmer's coaching now. It's a different era. They're different people. You There's, sounded really Minnesotan when you said that, by the way. Thank you very much. Sure. They're very sensitive. It's all of those things. I'll tell you what. It's all of those things that, that it, it's got to concern you, though, that he turns to this guy and basically takes his word, his word as gospel. I mean, you know, before the bye week, here's what you do. You go put stuffed toys around. It's all that stuff. And so this is not to say that it's not good to have a sounding board, but if you believe that that person's word is gospel, then I think you have to ask yourself, does what Bill Parcells did translate to today? And a lot of it probably doesn't right now. We're a lot more sarcastic and ironic and uh disassociated disaffected as a country probably now than we than we were back in the 80s i mean just the the number of i've seen this i've done this type things you get because of social media i, I think it changes the way guys approach things because you're it's a lot easier to to make fun of something and roll your eyes than to be earnest and to be sincere about something so i, I think when somebody's doing something like that the, the threshold for getting guys to be like yeah I, i'm buying into that is is probably a little bit different than it was in the Parcells era. Well, also, there's some of it that's just, it's just lore. It's just myth. I mean, yeah, it's a really cool story that Parcells hung up the rat traps or whatever, but Lawrence Taylor played for that team. I mean, the greatest defensive player of all time. And, you know, Phil Simms is a very poor broadcaster, but he was a pretty decent quarterback. And when you have an incredible defense with the most, I mean, it's like we talk about quarterbacks and how much they mean to a team. With Lawrence Taylor, he might be one of the only defensive players of all time who could mean as much to a defense or as much to a team in value as any quarterback because he yeah. was so dominant. And a <laughs> lot of the Washington Redskins. It is not to say that Parcells isn't a great coach, but if you're chasing myths, then you need to reevaluate what you take away from Bill Parcells. Yeah, if you have Lawrence Taylor and Harry Carson and the defensive backfield yeah. that team had, it's like, okay, it probably works out. Well, but Yeah, and also Bill Belichick working on your uh, staff as well, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, probably helped a little bit. No I know... slight to George Edwards, but uh, probably not Bill Belichick. <laughs> no comment. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, But, I mean, even when you look at how the Giants beat the Bills in the – Super Bowl there, the yeah. the wide right. Uh, a big part of that was the genius of Parcells seeking out some of the weaknesses mm-hmm. of Jim Kelly as a quarterback, Parcells and Bill Belichick, and confusing him. And they held the ball for like 39 minutes. Right, and running out the clock, playing the Harvard yeah. offense, yeah. basically. But you know, you can't really even do either one of those things now. The quarterbacks yeah. just don't get confused. Right. I, I mean, Harrison Smith helps a lot, gives you a ton of different looks. You can bring him up and drop him back. But it really changed my perspective on things when I read, I think I referenced this before, but when I read the article from a coach breaking down a play and what everyone needed to do for their assignments and going through all the things that quarterbacks need to uh, process and are already trained to process, it's like, uh, how can you beat these guys when they're reading every part of the field at once when it's good quarterbacks? You need to find different ways. Like you said, uh, Judd, Parcells would just confuse you a little and it was way ahead of the curve at that time. And so you need to say, yes, Parcells did some great things, but you're chasing a ghost there. It doesn't exist that if you hang rat traps or put stuffed animals or whatever type of goofy thing you're trying to help with players, it's fine. It just has no impact. That's what, that's the thing. It's like, 
putting stuffed animals in the locker room didn't do anything. It didn't hurt them. It didn't help them. It just made a really funny headline or 20. You know, when, when the Vikings hired Mike Zimmer, one of the things I think that was kind of a, a feather in Zimmer's cap was his record against really good quarterbacks. He had stymied Aaron Rodgers a couple of times in Cincinnati. He certainly has Aaron Rodgers' respect. Peyton Manning spoke very highly of him. He, he's had success against guys like that. I mean, guys like Brady, probably not as much. I mean, a lot of, but a lot of the big-time quarterbacks, whether it's Manning, Rodgers, Breeze, he has been able to slow a lot of those guys down, at least to the point where you can stay in the game. When Rodgers carved the Vikings up at Lambeau last December, it was really the first time we had seen Rodgers go off like we've seen Rodgers go off against the Vikings in the past in the Mike Zimmer era. And, and there could be a lot of things going on with that. I mean, certainly the defense looked tired at the end of the year. And, you know, the sense, I mean, Mike Zimmer talked about this, and I've heard this from players too, that when you're playing in so many high leverage situations that they just got tired by the end of the year. So maybe that was part of it. But it is going to be very, very interesting to see how they respond in the first three games of the season because the, the the way that this team made its mark early last year, they beat Cam Newton up the week after they shut Aaron Rodgers down, and it would, they were the first team ever, I think, to beat back-to-back MVP quarterbacks yes, in two were. straight weeks. They beat Eli Manning. They beat uh, – trying to think who else they – I mean, Houston didn't have a great quarterback, but it, it, the three games in a row was Rodgers – Newton, Eli Manning, you know, five, three rings between them, two however prime, many MVPs. Two prime time games. Right, right. So they were doing to quarterbacks what they had done over the course of their first two and a half years and what had made Mike Zimmer look like the guy that had the answer, at least to some degree, to Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, the, a guy that Aaron Rodgers has talked about as being something of a, a kryptonite to him. It's going to be very, very interesting to see if they are still able to do that against Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Jameis Winston. Three guys that present different tests in a lot of ways, but three guys that are going to stress this defense early. If Mike Zimmer is going to be able to say, this is still the same team it's always been, a lot of that is going to be your ability to do what you've always been able to do to quarterbacks. And to me, that comes back to one key thing, which is starting opening night, does your nickel corner hold up? Because yep. if he doesn't, yep. it's not going to matter. You're going to have a hard time. Then you got to shift Newman inside to a position he doesn't really know but could probably play. That, to me, it's the hubris of the Vikings saying to themselves, our head coach can coach Alexander up. And if they're right, God bless them, and it's going to be great. If they're wrong, you could easily be one and three very quickly. Because if you if you don't adjust quickly, and, and it's not like they have built in – a a cushion there there's not i mean if if alexander fails miserably in week one i suppose you take terrence move him inside play trey waynes more but i mean you are going to get to a point where you're going to have a really good batch of quarterbacks come out and pick on you immediately and it's going to have to do with can this guy were you right if if laquan treadwell comes out and struggles guess what it's too bad and it it looks like he's a first round bust but you probably don't lose games. Yeah. If Mackenzie Alexander comes out and struggles, guess what? You lose games. Yeah, we've we've seen that movie in the not too dis, not too distant past, and this defense has, is able to cover for Mackenzie Alexander probably a lot better than that defense of 2013 was able to do for Josh Robinson. But that position is going to be one that gets tested very early, and it can have some some negative effects to say the least if uh, Mackenzie Alexander is not up for the task. What I wonder about with the defense is okay 
I mean, he's saying sort of just, you know, inane language of more aggressive or the same sort of thing that most people say anyway. But will he really be able to adapt the scheme? Because last year against Indianapolis, to me, that was the disturbing game. Uh, against Green Bay, of course, but to some of it, you can say, well, Harrison Smith was hurt. They were going rogue on their coach and like a lot was happening there. But against Indianapolis, the season is still alive at that point. And we looked at that game. I think we walked away from it talking about Adrian Peterson mostly because he had come back and then fumbled and then didn't play. But the thing that came out of the locker room after was we got schemed badly we got smoked by a team putting in their third tight end and yeah. forcing Chad Greenway to cover, attacking uh, Anthony Harris, who was trying to play in place of Harrison Smith at mm -hmm. that point. But mm -hmm. it was it was really that they got schemed pretty bad, and that's something that you just didn't see. Even when the Vikings lost, they lost to Philly, but Carson Wentz had a bad day. Yeah, They lost to Chicago. Jordan Howard ran pretty well, but it wasn't like they put up 40 points. Chicago made a couple big plays in that game. The, the safety position was responsible for one of those very early, right. but uh, yeah. That and, they, wasn't... and they put up 20 points right. at the end. Right. Until the indie game, you would say, ah, well, it's the kicker. It's, uh, you know, the bounces. It's the offensive line. line. It's the running game. That was the one time where you went, oh, boy, that was Zimmer. Well, and it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, everybody's going to have the one time or the two times. You know, we'll have to see if – that becomes more of a trend or if that's a blip because I mean I, I think any team is going to have a bad game from time to time and, and the Vikings certainly would argue that those were isolated incidents at the end of a tough season against Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers and, and that can happen to anybody I, yeah I mean it certainly can but it's going to be interesting to see early if when you're playing these quarterbacks if there is any continuation of that because if there is you have some problems I think so that that certainly is going to be something to keep an eye on as we get uh, into the first few weeks of the season, which should be uh, rife with subplots with Adrian Peters coming back to town, Randy Moss going to the Ring of Honor, all that kind of stuff. Lots to keep an eye on early in the year. But before we go to that part of the season, we will say goodbye to Minnesota State University. The Vikings, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, announcing this week there will be no more Mankato after this year. They are moving training camp. Hashtag as expected to Egan, Minnesota at their new facility next season. Fans will be able to go there. They'll be able to take in practice. They, the Vikings think there'll be more people to be able to take in practice, and uh, they'll be able to sample all of the new trying to collect myself. restaurants and, and cuisine and all sorts of watering holes that probably won't live up to Boomtown or places like that. Judd, this, is pro this probably affects you. Oh. more than anybody else in this room. You have more time in Mankato than anybody else. You probably have more. I have a bigger beer gut. You have a bigger beer gut. I was going to try to find an artful way to say Oh, that. that's okay. You've, about you've imbibed more in Mankato oh, yeah, there's than no anybody way else it. in this room. Yep. Um, you may have imbibed more in Mankato than any writer. In the, you're probably top five in the history of this beat in terms of number of drinks consumed in Mankato. I don't know. Right? 60s and 70s pets. Well, World-class drinkers. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I'd you're, be proud to be by the you're, way. You're certainly... In the 21st century, I think. Okay. Well, thank you very much. But, Hall of Famer. But uh, well, how do we feel about this? I Because I kind of... Can I give I, you a, an honest yes, assessment without yes. being a smartass here? Yeah. My honest feeling... I mean, if you want to be a smartass, it's well, okay, fine, too. Well, fine, fine. But, 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 here, but here was my, my first thought about this. 
And, and this move comes as no surprise. It's totally expected. And I'm not even upset one bit. I mean, it makes sense. Teams, I think there's now 21, uh, 22 teams. Uh, it's 21 train, this year. So, the Colts are going back. But to this was, as well. but the Vikings and every other team that used to go somewhere to train, mm-hmm. this was the one thing that was left in a league that's become completely corporate. Yes. I mean, it's a, it's a bottom line they don't care about people for the most part. They care about the dollar. They care about merchandising. Uh, this was the one throwback left. This was spring training, basically. I mean, this was a chance where you went I mean, had these guys staying in dorms. Mm-hmm. It was the one throwback, and now that's gone. And as far as the Vikings go, uh, starting in 2018, there will be nothing quaint left. Yeah. Nothing. That that was my takeaway from it as well. Is that this is the last thing that I mean? Most of the I think I wrote it as I said this week. The NFL, the access and from fans to players or fans to teams in the NFL has gotten more programmed, less organic, and more expensive over the last fifteen twenty years. And this is certainly another step in that direction. I mean, yes, practices will still be free. Yes, there will be opportunities to get autographs and that sort of thing, but the the moments where guys are are riding by on bikes and you know the, the Teddy Bridgewater's walking in the locker room and you know it was his rookie year and they, they, there's so many people trying to get his autograph they they toppled the chain link fence a few years ago. Bridgewater's just kind of standing there looking at the whole thing like is this for real and you know just kind of has a smile on his face as, as everybody's trying to still get his autograph as they're crashing into this fence and. Yeah, all of that. I mean, people showing up as guys checking into the dorms, all that kind of stuff. I mean, yes, it's predictable. Yes, everybody's doing it. Yes, Twinsies Orthopedic wants their name splashed around, and they want people engaging with their brand, and they're paying a lot of money for that right. And you figure this was going to happen at some point, but yes, that my the reason I am a bit um, melancholy about this, I guess, is that. For what you said, it, it's the last sort of thing that made the Vikings more accessible than a lot of teams, and now that's gone, and uh, or will be gone. And it, yeah, it's financially it makes sense, brand wise it makes sense. Players don't like to stay in dorms. We get all that, but uh, yeah, for fans, I, I think it's uh, it's it's going to be you know like something is lost a little bit. Well, the good news is that the Egan facility can circle the Earth 13 times in 40 minutes and go back in time. Yeah. So that's one of the good things. Um, Maybe there'll be like a Mankato virtual reality simulator that you can <laughs> walk into and pretend that you're able to walk up to players. Walk up to like a VR teddy, <laughs> yeah. ask for an autograph that way. It'll cost seventeen ninety five for 12 minutes. You can but... virtual reality suffer Teddy Bridgewater's knee injury yourself. <laughs> put you in this thing. Um as, Sugar uh, will save your leg really quickly, though. As soon as quite a riveting experience. I mean, as soon as <laughs> here comes the ambulance. <laughs> He's mostly fine now. It's the, okay. The to adrenaline say. would he be. Ke- uh, he kept the leg. Exciting. It's all right. Um, his contract's going to toll. He's fine. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> <Not fine. laughs> but uh, but uh, as soon as they announced this thing, it was pretty obvious that camp was coming here. And then, by the way, for those who are wondering why Judd sounded like he was yelling that from ten feet away, he is. His mic broke, and he, him and Collar are sharing a mic, and they have so far resisted my overtures to go like 
Springsteen and whoever his guitar player is that they lean back to back. Uh, Stevie Van Zandt. Oh yeah, yeah, I should know that. that, that You're was, a sports writer. How do you not know his guitar? I player? am. I am anti Springsteen. Yeah, as as my well, buddy David McCoy would lament. Let, no, you know what? If you're anti Springsteen, let's not even start there. I, it's yeah. Uh, we won't get into that musicianship. I'll, I'll leave it there. I, I um, hear he puts on a good show. I've heard that as well. I've heard that many, many times. Anyway, uh, a few years ago, Very happy for I, I went to um, Pittsburgh to their training camp. I was down there going to a Pirates game because uh, where I used to live was only three hours from Pittsburgh, and they have one of the best baseball stadiums in the league, yep. and training camp was going on. I thought, all right, just take a trip down the road here to Latrobe and mm-hmm. see what this is like. Arnie Palmer's old and, haunt. Oh, really? Latrobe. I didn't know that. Yep. Uh, so you park in a field, a literal field, yep. and you walk through this dirt field, and Latrobe's setup is kind of like down, so you walk like up to the top of the hill, and you can see everything going on down beneath you. And it has this like old time uh, NFL films type yeah. of feel to yeah. it, and you can stand really close and hear the coach yelling at the players and hear them popping pads, so yep. to speak. There's something that's really special about that, and I don't know if that's going to be taken away because of this or not. I don't know if there will be less access. I'm sure that they would argue, well, we've made this more community, yada, 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 because those are words that corporate people use. Yep. Uh, but having it not ha- have that, like, organic is the perfect word for it, feel. Intimate, yeah, quaint. yeah. Yeah, and just is a good word as well. Just a, a little bit of a little taste of Friday Night Lights for yeah. you, if you will. Yeah. You know, just the it's just like when we were in high school, sort of just yeah. uh, just for a moment, for a couple of weeks, and that's gone. Uh, of course, you would want the best for your team with this gazillion dollar facility um, that can cryogenically rebuild Teddy. But <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I agree with you that there's something special about the few of those that still exist. God bless the Pittsburgh Steelers. They. Everybody else can go corporatize everything they want. I mean, even the Packers don't. You know, the, the NFL releases the things about the Packers have the longest running training camp in one place. The Packers don't practice in De Pere anymore. They practice at their facility. They stay in the dorms for however long and then bus over to the, the Don Hudson Center, I believe. But the Pittsburgh Steelers now are, are tied with the Vikings for the longest running tenure to practice in one place and the Steelers will stand alone after this year. They'll be the the one team that everybody else is changing and the Steelers say, no, we're going to, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. And uh, we don't need to, to soak every last dollar out of it. So that they'll be the ones that, that stick with it. Yeah. It's just, it's, um, you know, it, it, I think fans of greater Minnesota also probably lose out on this a little bit. I mean, yes, most of the state's population is in the Metro area. We have, Five and a half million people, or whatever, and, and three something million of them live in the seven county metro area in the Twin Cities. But fans that are in southern Minnesota don't get up here as much. And uh, but when they do, they they can stay at the Vikings' new hotel, which will have purple sheets. They, we'll they call it can. Club Purple. It'll be sponsored by Marriott, Radisson, maybe Sheraton, yeah, maybe Hilton. And well, you can I don't stay, think it's gonna be Radisson anymore. And you can and you can sleep below your the relationship with Radisson with your Harrison went sour. Smith jersey that you can customize, order from your room, and you can get purple Jello. It'll be great. I remember something going wrong with Radisson. There was a press conference. Details are fuzzy. Oh, it's a family matter. Don't worry details about that. are fuzzy. Don't worry about it. that's a personal matter. But uh, 
yeah, I yes, there there will be a hotel and and you'll be able and to merchandise do all of that, shops. But... Egan odds that Egan becomes Vikingville, Minnesota within the next twenty five years, or Wilfville. The, the the name of it is yeah, back. just change the name. Yeah, well, the whole you, city. You think the Wilfs can't buy the name of the well, city? Well, they probably can. I mean, Egan if if they you got Pottersville check, right? Say hey, great for George Bailey. Yeah, Wilfville for the Minnesota Vikings. There you go. Wilf World sounds good to me. Wilf Springs, I don't know, something like that. I mean, they're they're calling the development Viking Lakes already, so um, you know they, they certainly will have a lots lots of development over the next ten or so years, and that thing will will turn into a a money making machine of its own, which everything in the NFL does these days. But yeah, I I just think it's for fans that don't get access to this team very much, and and the access is getting harder to get, except for people that have the money to get it um it, it yeah it's just it feels like it's it's predictable it's the way things are done but it just is it's uh it's too bad that you lose something there i you know we we enjoy the trips down there i mean i i still enjoy going down there it's yeah it's it's a little bit hokey at times but uh it's fun to to get down there and and kind of do things in a little bit more of a low-key setting and um you know, hit all the little small town spots in Mankato, and um, yeah, I always enjoy it, and I know fans do too. And it just is—it's uh, too bad that they couldn't. I mean, you know, I think they talked at one point about trying to keep a week in Mankato. I mean, they—they they give lip service to that idea. I don't think they really considered it that seriously. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're wanting to get one more taste of Mankato, it's got to be this year because the Vikings will not be back there after this season. We, of course, will be in Mankato next week. We'll probably be doing a purple podcast from down there before I make my switch over to the Star Tribune and whatever that will mean for my involvement with this podcast. But we will be in Mankato. Are you guys doing Mankato next week? you guys doing any shows down there? Uh, yes, we are doing uh, shows on Thursday and Friday in week one because we're, we're not going to go down until the veterans report Okay, because we don't do that first right. two or three you're, days. You're too big time we're for above the quarterbacks. That. And, then, uh, and then the following week, I believe we are down there uh, for week two. We're at... Uh, Weggies on campus. Ah, yes, Weggies, which burgers. is which is in the uh, strip in the strip mall position between pretty much Chipotle and Jimmy John's. Yep, uh, we are down there for week two. I want to say uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Nice, so, yeah. Check so out about five Maggie days. And Judd. Maybe we'll we did a live purple podcast on there last year. Maybe we'll have to fun. try to fire that up again this year no, but, before yeah. you leave us. Well, I guess that would have to be this week. Yeah, it would be. So, so. maybe Collar and I will figure something out. Maybe we'll sit on a. A curb like we do uh, during the season yeah. when it's nice. Well, we we got to find a way to kill you off. Yeah, we shoved it. Kramer down an elevator shaft, and I, I think his last podcast ended with me yelling hashtag Fire Kramer was the last thing anybody heard before he signed off. So my my exit, if in fact that's where we're headed, will have to be similarly ignominious. So we will we'll talk to you next week from Mankato. Thanks for listening. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.